1. Hear God's word. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's word together? Let's pray together. Father, we pause now. This morning, having come and heard your word read to us, and having sung praises to you, and brought offerings and gifts to you to, to show your worth in our own hearts, and Lord, now we come and we open our hearts and our ears to your word, where you say that your word has power. In fact, it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God to bring about transformation in our hearts. And so I pray that you would send your spirit and use your powerful word upon our hearts this morning. That those of us who are down and dark and hopeless would find hope. That those of us who are distracted would be captured. And that those of us who are cold would be softened by your love and by your grace and by Jesus. So come and be at work in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. A parable to start us off this morning. You know, a parable is like a little story that has a hidden meaning in it. So there's two young fish and they're swimming along one morning. And they run into an older, wiser fish. And he's passing them. He's going the other way. And he sees them and he says, Morning, boys. How's the water? Keeps going. And the two younger fish, they go along a little bit, a little bit further. And one looks over to the other and he says, What the heck's water? What does that mean? It's a little parable that calls to attention that so often in life, the most obvious things and the most important things in life are things that you don't ever recognize or become aware of in your own life. So true about so many things about us. In fact, so often, people can see things in you and about you that you are totally blind to yourself. Because it's kind of like, how aware is a fish of water? It's not. It doesn't know the difference. It's always there. A great example of this was a speech that was given to the Golden Globes two years ago by Jim Carrey. You know, the Golden Globe Awards are those, those, one of those series of awards that all the movie stars and the famous people come together, and some of us love to watch that and watch the, the red carpet and watch these people who are just beautiful, incredibly talented, and seem to have, really, the world by the tail. And the reality about these shows is that there are times for them to come together and kind of be seen and give awards to one another, and I think so often we can look at people who are that successful, that beautiful, that talented, and just think that, man, they must just have it made. 
they must really have all this stuff figured out. But this speech that Jim Carrey gave one time really brought out the reality that shows they're not all that different than us. Jim Carrey, before this particular uh, Golden Globe Awards, uh, had gone through a real dark season in his life. His, he had lost his longtime girlfriend to suicide. And it had brought him into a real period of trying to figure out life and how all the things that he had chased after seemed a little bit empty in his life. And so Jim Carrey comes up to give and introduce the award for best comedy. And it's kind of one of those things where, you know, they're on a timeline there because they're on TV and they want you to be quick. And when your speech goes on and on and on, they cut you off. Well, they're not prepared to do that with the music on the introduction speeches, only with the acceptance speeches. So Jim Carrey comes up, and before, actually before he comes on the stage, you know that kind of voice in the sky that introduces each of the people that come up? Jim Carrey, uh, before he comes out on stage, you hear, uh, please welcome with me two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. And everybody stands, and they're applauding, and he's coming out, and he comes out of the microphone, he's got that big grin. And the applause dies down, and he says, I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. And everybody kind of laughs because you, you realize where he's going with this. He's going to kind of make fun of himself and make fun of how it's easy when you're so successful to kind of be full of yourself. And he says, I'm, I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. Thank you. And then he goes on to begin to say this. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. No, I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, no. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. Of course, at this point, everybody's laughing. Because they're identifying, he's kind of making fun of this drive in them to achieve, to finally make it, to, to win that award and be recognized by all of their peers and be at the top of their career. And he says, because then I would be enough. Then it would finally be true. And the laughter you can tell at this point as truth is beginning to come more and more into his speech. You can tell the laughter begins to turn into a nervous laughter, kind of like, whoa, you're kind of getting on my toes here. People begin to realize, wait a minute, he's actually talking about all of us. And so you're seeing Denzel Washington, you're seeing Jamie Foxx, you're seeing all these famous people with this look on their face like, please, I want you to stop at this point. But he goes on. Then it would finally be true. I would finally be enough. And I could stop this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these wards. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up the solar system, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. The nominees are... And it was a great moment. I'd encourage you to go, and you can look this up on YouTube. It was an incredible moment where Jim Carrey, through the use of humor, is actually inviting them to see something real that they're probably largely blind to. And it's this tendency that we all have 
to run after things that we think are going to bring us ultimate significance and identity and meaning in our life. It's not just celebrities that do this kind of thing. The reality is we're all the same. It's fundamental to the human heart that, that we're all running after meaning in created things. This, this drive, as he calls it, this terrible search for what we know ultimately will not satisfy. That's the water to the fish that we're always swimming in. Do you know that reality in your own heart? You're always looking to these things outside of yourself. You know, whether it be success in your work or the reputation of people around you, the success of your children, the success of your team that you've identified your identity to. I wouldn't know anything about that. College football, know nothing about that. This, all of these things that we can run after and, and think, and often we wouldn't voice this out loud. It's just kind of, just kind of happens inside of us, and we think, if I have the love of this person, if I can just find that, that right Mr. Right, if I can just arrive, if I can just have this in my life, if I can just, you know, that next vacation or adventure, adventure out on the horizon, then I'll be enough. Then I'll be fulfilled. But it never works. It never delivers. Here's what we see in our passage today. We see that, that when Jesus becomes our fulfillment, when he becomes the source of life, not only do we finally find rest and satisfaction, as we learn in the passage, we actually become a source of life for others. As life actually begins to flow out of us and into other people. We're talking, we're in our sermon series, our mission sermon series, where we're really talking about how enjoying Jesus is really the starting point of mission and how Centering upon him moves us out in life-giving mission. And that's, this, this passage is, could also almost be a, a tag verse for the whole mission series. So let's jump in together and look at our passage. Again, we're in John chapter 7, beginning at verse 37. As we enter into the, the scene here that we're looking at, there's a lot that comes before that where Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem for one of the most important festivals of the year for the Israelites. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a seven-day feast where they would come and they would remember and celebrate uh, that time in the Old Testament when God led his people through the wilderness and provided for them and, and significantly poured out water from the rock for his people, how he was satisfying his people and sustaining them in their wilderness journey. Now, in the Bible, this water is so important. Now, you can imagine why, because in a, in a very arid culture, water was hard to come by. You knew very, very distinctly, what does it feel like to be thirsty? What does it feel like to be, have a shortage of water? That's hard for us to connect to, because we, we turn on the tap. We take long showers. You know, we don't, we don't often think about thirst in the way that they would. But water in the scriptures has enormous symbolic meaning of life, of sustenance, of satisfaction. And that was really central in this feast, in this ceremony. And on the last day of the feast, the climax of the whole feast was marked by this water pouring ceremony. Where the priest would take water and pour it out. And it was a very visual, tangible reminder of God satisfying his people 
in those ancient days with the pouring out of water from the rock. And it is in that moment that we come to our scene where Jesus and John sets it up for us. He says on the last and greatest day of the feast, the climax, it's all here. Everyone's crowded around for this feast in this moment, for this water pouring. And in that moment, Jesus stands up and shouts, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That's a tremendous statement in that moment. Whenever most people were, were really torn about who is this guy and what does he mean. So Jesus begins by saying if anyone is thirsty. He, he knows something about them. He wasn't really saying is there anybody who's thirsty here. But rather he's saying I know you are deeply thirsty. Now oftentimes we see this in the book of John. Where Jesus is using a physical everyday reality to talk about something spiritual. He's not talking about physical thirst. He's talking about deep soul spiritual thirst. See, he knows something about everybody that was gathered there and each and every one of us. That the reality is, is that we are deeply thirsty people. We've been created by God with these deep longings and desires for life and meaning and satisfaction and beauty and identity and rest. It's part of how we've been created and we were created to find satisfaction of those deep desires in God himself. But the reality is of this life is that we're always running to other things to satisfy those deep desires. We're always taking our thirst to places that cannot ultimately satisfy, that cannot ultimately quench. And that is the reality of all of those things that we run after is that they ultimately leave you thirsty and empty. They don't deliver on their promises. Just this past week, I was at a coffee shop. I was waiting to meet somebody. I had a meeting there. And I was sitting next to this table, and I couldn't help but overhear the conversation that was happening there. And there was a woman there, and she was a mother, and I think she had a number of children, and they were kind of high school stepping into college age. And she was meeting with another older woman, and as best I could discern, this older woman was like a family coach. I didn't know those existed. But I think that's what was happening here. And she's meeting with this family coach, and this person was coming in, and so she was telling her all of the problems about her family, all of the things that were filling her with anxiety, all of the things that she feared for her children, and this woman was then counseling her on what to do. And as I was listening to her talk, I could just hear in her voice deep anxiety and fear as she thought about, how are my kids going to turn out? And I, I could hear her just wrestling deep in her gut about how are we going to make these decisions? What is the, the exact right decision for where they ought to go to school and, and uh, what kind of activities they need to be involved in and what they need to do to get into that right school and get on that right path? And she was just torn up with anxiety of how, how do we do this so that they turn out right? And she was talking about, well, this, this school, I've understood, is not what it used to be, but this school is, is much better thought of. And, and, and one of my children wants to go to the, the University of Colorado, and you know what they do out there. And I'm so afraid that if he goes out there, he'll just be smoking dope, right? Might be true. As we hear that, especially if your parents hear, probably an initial reaction is, so what's the problem? I mean, 
to, to love our children, to, to agonize over the things that they're going through, that's normal. That's right. For a parent to not care what's happening in their children's life, whether there would be something wrong with the parent, that's not what I'm saying. I'm pointing to the fact that at some level, this mother had come to fix her identity on how her children turned out. That, that her, her worth as a mother was somehow based upon her children being successful in life. Now that's probably one of the most common idols that we have in our own culture. We're in a cultural moment where children have really been elevated and deified. Now it is wonderful to love your children. That's perfectly natural. But what so easily happens is that children can become our source of meaning and identity. And how do you know that that's begun to happen? When they're struggling, when there's these things on the horizon, not only does it concern you, it undoes you. You see, to begin to understand this reality is to begin to think about sin in a different way, right? I mean, I think as, as we think about sin, especially in the, the Bible Belt, we think of sin primarily as breaking a rule, right? Going against a commandment, and that's certainly sin. But that's more like the tip of the iceberg. The reality is that the roots of every single sin is at its heart taking some good thing in life, and usually it is good thing, and making it an ultimate thing in your life. Taking some good thing in your life and putting it in the place in your heart of God. Anything that you take and you look to for meaning and purpose and comfort and ultimate joy, ultimate rest, anything that we take and make ultimate, anything that gets elevated above God and we begin to look to for life and significance, that is an idol. And that's what the Bible says is at the very heart of everything that's wrong with us, of every single sin, has as its roots a choice to worship something in the place of God. And the reality about all these things that we run after is that they'll never satisfy you. Because we've been created to be satisfied in Him. Not in what He gives, even, but in Him Himself. And the reality is, is that whenever we make an idol out of some created thing, you put a weight to that thing that it can never deliver on. And it will crush that thing and it will enslave you. So Jesus begins by identifying this reality. Listen, I know you're thirsty. I know you. But then he says this. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. What a huge statement in that moment where they're... They're remembering all of these things that God has done in the Old Testament. And Jesus in this moment is essentially stepping up and saying, hey, you know, all of that, that's about me. All that that God was doing in the Old Testament was just pointing to me because I am the water. I am the one whom God has sent to finally bring to fulfillment all of your longings. I am the true source of life. And until you come and you drink deeply of me, you're never going to find satisfaction. You're, you're never going to find wholeness. You're never going to find ultimate identity. What Jesus is not saying is get religious. Now, I think that's important to say because in the Bible Belt, we can hear Jesus talk and think, oh, I know what that means. It means I need to get religious. I need to do religious things, and I need to avoid these things, and I need to get devoted and get serious this time, right? We think get religious, and Jesus is not. He's talking to religious people. 
He's talking to really religious people who have all their P's and Q's in order. He's speaking to them and saying, you're thirsty because many of them are looking to religion to bring satisfaction. And yet Jesus is stepping into that and saying, this is never going to do it. Come to me. Drink of me. That's different from religion. Find life in me. What does that mean? What does it mean to drink deeply of Jesus? He says it in the very next verse in verse 38. Look at what he says. Whoever believes in me. See, that's what he's talking about. That's what it means. It means to believe in him. Not in the way, again, that we tend to think in the Bible Belt as we think of belief as something that, that you do once at the beginning to get, to get into heaven. You know, if I believe in Jesus, then, then I'll, I'll, after I die, I'll get to go to heaven. So it, it's, it's a shallow, one-time kind of thing. But also, we often think that belief is just believing certain facts or things about him. As long as I believe that, I'm okay. Jesus is talking about something very different. He's talking about literally fixing yourself upon him. He's talking about a belief that means I actually come to see that you are the treasure. That you are more valuable than anything that this life has to offer. All these things that I'm tempted to chase after, you are actually infinitely more valuable than all of those things. That's the kind of belief that he's talking about. And the sense of that verb of believe and come is a continual sense. So not just at the beginning of the Christian life, but rather continually drinking of me. And Jesus says that's the only way that you're going to find satisfaction. It's what you've been made for. One of my favorite examples of this and descriptions of this in a person is the story of Augustine, one of the early church fathers. Now, if you know anything about Augustine, and I, I like to use his quotes a lot, and I've been very impacted by his own story. He lived a long time ago. He lived in the, the 300s and 400s A.D. But Augustine was this guy, and whenever you get to know their story, you realize they're kind of the same as us. We're all really the same deep down. And so Augustine was this guy that, that growing up had this just kind of huge cavernous hole in his heart. He just longed to matter and to be loved and to be somebody. But what he ran after to find that was so many vices in his life. I mean, this was a guy that was addicted to so many things. He was a sex addict. He was addicted to power. He was thinking that if I, if I can... If I can get educated enough and trained enough and like rhetoric, that was the big thing of the day, being able to speak, then, then I'll finally arrive. And he was a guy that was always running after all of these things. But the reality is it was always empty. Everything that he chased after left him empty. And then there was a period in his life where he was converted, where God opened his eyes and brought him to himself. And he wrote a book just talking about his relationship with Jesus called Confessions. And he says this very powerfully in the book Confessions, describing his own conversion. Now listen how he describes it here. How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You identify with that? He calls all of those things that he was chasing after Fruitless joys. Yes, they were joys, but they were fruitless and empty 
and they just disappear on you. They give you like a moment of joy, but there's nothing that lasts. He said how sweet it was to be set free from these fruitless joys that I had once feared to lose. Maybe you know that reality in your life. Maybe there's something that's a fruitless joy in your life, and just the thought of leaving it and giving it up is terrifying. Who would I be if I didn't have this anymore? His life was filled with those things. And listen how he describes what God did in his life. You drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy. He called God sovereign joy. That what God does in conversion is becomes, and he gives us a joy that surpasses any of the joys of this world. He is the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. Talk about enjoying Jesus. For Augustine, conversion was not going from not believing something in your head to now believing it. It wasn't simply living in this way to now living a religious life. It was coming to find that God is more delightful and valuable than anything that this world has to offer. And not only knowing it here, but knowing it deeply here. That is conversion. And that is what Jesus is saying here. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink and you'll find satisfaction. But that's not all he says there. He says something else in verse 38 that I think is profound. Not only as we come to him, are we satisfied? We also become a source of life for others. Look again at what he says, verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Remarkably, he says that whenever we come and drink deeply of Jesus, not only are we satisfied, but we we actually become a source of life for others. That life actually begins to flow out of us into the lives of people around us. We become like a river. See, this is what we were created to be. We weren't created to be like a pond. You know the difference between a pond and a river? A pond kind of collects things. There's only one way in. Nothing goes out. And it's often murky, a lot of sediment there. But a river's much different. A river is vital and it's flowing and it's alive and it's clear and it flows. It's part of what he's trying to communicate here is that as we are drinking deeply of Jesus, there is a flow of life that comes out of us. Now, he, he says right after that what that is. Look again. Verse 39. By this, he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So what is this flow that comes out of us and into the lives of other people? It's not actually us or anything from us, but rather it's the Holy Spirit. That as Jesus fills us and we drink deeply of him, he flows out of us into the lives of other people. This is not something you muster up. I think often as we think about ministry or loving others or serving others, a mission for some of us, that just makes us feel exhausted. Like, oh my gosh, I can barely handle my own life. Now you want me to go do something? But Jesus is saying, no, no, it won't work that way. Oh, unless you are drinking deeply of me, you can't go flow into other people's lives. But as you are, 
we're filled with His Spirit. And it flows out of us into the lives of those around us. It's a dynamic created in us. So I have a little illustration here. We'll see if this helps anybody here. I like to do a little illustration whenever I get a chance. So I think oftentimes we're, we kind of feel like this little cup here, okay? So we've got a little life in us, you know. It's limited. That sense of life in us is limited. We only have so much. And here's the reality. As we go through in life, life happens, right? You start taking hits. And things happen like uh, you have an unexpected bill that hits, okay? And then you have maybe a relationship in your life that begins to break down. And uh, then somebody gets sick in your life. I'm trying not to get wet here. Somebody in your life, they get sick. Maybe you get sick. Um, you lose your job. You have a dispute in your family that begins to break down. And on and on and on. And this is kind of what it feels like, doesn't it? It's just like each of those hits just kind of poke a hole in you. And life just begins to flow out. But here's what we do. Here's our solution. We take these things and it kind of looks like water. It kind of looks like life. So that vacation is going to fill me up. Right? And then you think, man, that dream house I'm always putting together on Pinterest. One day I'm going to get it. And once I get there, it's going to fill me up. And you got these other things. Once I get that job, or once I... Once that job opportunity really comes together, career, the, the recognition of my coworkers, that's going to do it. And then I got this picture of Mr. Wright. I know he's out there and he's coming. And when I meet him, he's going to plus all my minuses and I'm going to finally be happy. Wait till you meet him. And on and on and on, these things that we run after and begin to fill in our life. And they look like life. They look like water. But it's not filling you up. Rather you're feeling empty. And as you think about. How am I going to do ministry like this? Because the little amount of life I got. Is just draining out. How am I going to be. A source of life. To the people you put in my life. You see what Jesus is saying here. Here's how it works. You've got to drink deeply of Jesus, and he fills you with life and fills you as you continually drink of him, and then you begin to overflow with life. should have warned you on the front. That's how it works. As we are drinking deeply of Jesus and being filled with him, life flows out of us. We can't fill ourselves up or fill that emptiness on all the things that we're chasing after. And usually when we begin to see that, we just find another thing to go after. You know, when you catch that thing and it didn't do it, and you think, what's next? Let me go find something else. Jesus says in here, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within you. What scripture is he talking about? He's not talking about any one particular scripture. He's talking about a whole host of scriptures in the Old Testament as it talks about when Messiah comes 
that it will be like bringing rivers into the desert. That springs will just well up in the middle of the desert, these dry places, and they will begin to bud and flourish, and you'll have flowers and trees and lush vegetation coming up right in the middle of the desert. That's kind of the picture that is painted by the prophets of the coming of Messiah. But you know what Jesus is saying here? Yeah, I do that through you. Isn't that amazing? That the way that Jesus floods the dry places with rivers of life is not just a part from us, but rather through us. It's amazing. I think that what God wants to do is to flood Dade County with life-giving water. To just open up a river of life that is Jesus at the end of the day that will bring about the flourishing of this community. And that, that we are a part of that. That we get to be like a conduit of life. That as we're drinking deeply of Jesus that it would flow out of us and into Dade County. And this happens as we enjoy Jesus together. You don't just enjoy Jesus individually. You do it corporately. As we are gathering together and sharing life with one another and discovering Jesus together and preaching the gospel to each other, life will flow out of us as a church. Now, primarily, this is not a program. It just happens right where God's put you. In in your homes, in your places of work, in your neighborhoods, on the basketball court, the rec league basketball court, at the gym, in the classroom. Kids, this is for you too. All those places where God has put you, he wants to flow that life through you and into the lives of other people. It also happens in particular avenues as a church. As we talk about faith and finances. As we talk about our ministry to families in Dade County that are in crisis or in need. There are opportunities for us together to begin to serve in those ways. You see, that's our mission as a church. To drink deeply of Jesus. To enjoy him. Together that he would be our delight and our treasure. And that as we do that, he will produce life in and through us that will flow into this place that he loves. May it be so. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray.